You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. Christ did not have his beginnings in the manger of Bethlehem or in the womb of Mary. Jesus Christ had his beginnings never. He's always been. He is God. And so we see the person of God at creation and at the point of salvation. We see the purpose of God in creation. Why did God make all these massive universes and galaxies and things that we have not yet even imagined that are out there? Well, I think he did it to glorify himself in calling a people on one little blue planet. To have fellowship with people on this tiny planet. We see the power of God in creation, the person of God in creation, Jesus Christ, the purpose of God, and we see the peace with God through the cross. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20, the last part. It's, it's, it's probably maybe the, the, the most important uh, phrase in all of this. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. The fullness of God came in Christ so that he might make peace with you. In the blood of his son. In the cross of his son. Think about that. Now all those great and awesome things that God does, but let me tell you the reason he had to do it. Well, number one, he wanted to do it, but let me show you the reason. Because there is a problem. We see the power, the person, the purpose, the peace, but then we see it all because there's a problem. And what is the problem? We see it in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies. So let's look at that. Number one, Christ had to come, the fullness of God, this awesome, immense, dignified, holy, righteous, deserving of all glory God had to come and take upon flesh and die as a criminal so that you might be restored to him. Because you... We're on the outside. You were alienated because of yourself, because you were wicked. Number one, this word alienated means to be estranged, but I like, I think I put this up on the board, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. Isn't that something? I mean, let's, let's put it in the, I, you should, this, this should pale in comparison. To you. This should pale in comparison to what this verse just said. But let's just give some perspective. Maybe you, you, you're not getting it. Take the, the, the most loving person you know, the person you love the most, and think about never being able to have fellowship with them again. On the outside, not able to get to them, not able to speak to them, not able to hug them, not able to be with them. That's what makes this COVID mess so stupid. (laughs) It's keeping people apart, and they call this, they want to try to uh, convince us this is the new normal. It isn't normal at all. It ain't right. You need interaction. You need intimacy. You need fellowship. You need friendship. You need the love of others. But, but anyway, just imagine that. We kind of get that sense here lately, being separated from those, especially if you had somebody had to go in the hospital. 
they tell us that there are, I've heard this, of course, uh, you hear a lot of stuff, but there's a great percentage of the elderly people in the nursing homes that are dying that aren't really dying of coronavirus. They're dying because they've given up because they hadn't seen their family in so long. Let me tell you something. You can live about 40 days without uh, food, about three days without water, but you can't live three seconds without hope. And you think about that because of your sinfulness, because of your character, you were separated from, the, the, from God, the one who saves, because of what you were. You were enemies. Your enemies in your mind, first of all, in your mind. We didn't want God. We didn't like God. We decided against God. It was a mind and a heart issue. Now, there's some good people who, who had good parents who taught them right from wrong, and they said, Brother Ron, I would never say that about God ever in my life that I didn't want him. Well, what it is is you want a God, but it's a God of your own making. You don't want the God of this book who calls for repentance and holiness. We want a God who's fit to our own standards. I hear this all the time. Well, my God would never send anybody to hell. My God wouldn't do that. You're right, your God wouldn't, but the God of this Bible would do these things. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And what he does and what he says is right. So we're alienated because our minds want different. We're alienated because what's in the mind or in the heart, as my mama used to always say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket by wicked works. Our predilections, I, I realize it's a big word, but I like that word. It means our wants, our wills, our, our desires. Our predilections were carried out in our practice. In our practice. Let me tell you, I don't care how goody two-shoes someone is in your face and in public. Everybody has secret sins that they deal with. Now, you're not going to believe this, but even Pastor Ron Owen, we're sinners and we do sinful things. And realize that. When you find out somebody's done something sinful, don't shake your head and look down your nose at them. You know your own heart. Pity them and pray for them and weep for them and help to restore them if possible. But, but before we were saved, we did these things because we wanted to. We liked to. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at five results of Christ's having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, that statement alone ought to made somebody shout, but I understand we're Baptists. So anyway, uh, I told someone the other day, I said, we had shouting at Antioch East the other day. I said, no, I was the only one doing it, but we had shouting. But you can join in any time you want to. So five, five results of Christ's having made peace through the blood of his cross. Number one, he has reconciled us to God. That actually, yeah, come on, come on. I, I, I hear the amen. I need to pause and let people shout a little bit. That's what it is, isn't it? Amen. And that, that's just a great statement. And I really think it's a general statement, although it's one of my five points. It's a general statement because we've been reconciled we get all the rest of these things I'm fixing to mention. But let's talk about that. What a wonderful word. To reconcile means to bring back a former state of harmony. <laughs> Woo! Harmony.
harmony. Back into harmony with God. Back into harmony with Christ. Back into harmony with holiness. Even though we have a physical body that we still deal with and we still follow our sin, in us Christ has declared, God has declared, we're not guilty. And he's washed away our sins by his blood, past, present, and future. And we have been reconciled and brought back to him today at this very time. And I hear people all the time, and I understand that. I mean, I like to, I like to meet my heroes, my earthly heroes, you know. Uh, everybody likes to say, hey, listen, I got to go out to eat with, uh, uh, you know, some basketball player that you idolize or football player, I don't want to say idolize, but that you appreciate or, or, or whatever it is. Hey, I got to go eat. I got invited by the president to the White House. Man, that'd be something else, wouldn't it? That would be a, a privilege to be able to do that. And I hear people and I see some people that get a little arrogant about it. And hey, look at me. I got to, listen, it don't matter. Listen, that don't impress me. I got to talk to the king of kings this morning face to face. He's my daddy. And you know how often I have an audience with the king of kings and lord of lords? All the time. Now listen to me, folks. Do you, really, do you believe that? This isn't pie in the sky theology. It's real. It's true. And the Bible says that we, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, crying out, Abba, Father. Look at this. Number one, generally, generally, uh, he has reconciled all things. Christ, through the blood of the cross, reconciles all things. And I told you about the awesomeness, and we went through the universe and the galaxies and all those things, and how God feels all in all. But let me tell you, the farthest star away from us is also declining and being destroyed. And do you know why? Because of one act of disobedience. The curse that came because of Adam's sin has reached the farthest star and planet and galaxy. And it is all decaying because of the curse of sin. Every time you scratch your leg from the chigger bites, the curse of sin. Amen? Every time you have to go out and pull weeds out of your garden, it's because of the curse of sin. Adam and Eve wouldn't have had to worry about those things had they not disobeyed God. But my friend, it's not just in the garden. It's not just in the hayfield. It's not just in the house. It's not just uh, in society. My friend, the curse of sin reaches everywhere in this old universe. And through the blood of Christ, it is all being reconciled and brought back into harmony one day. All of it will be. He will reverse the curse. Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. It's all going to be restored. Now, can you imagine... Brother Fred, God is bringing down a city upon earth, the new earth, a city which is four square, 1,500 miles high. We cannot even imagine this. 
1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. It's a square. We can't imagine exactly what it's going to be. But it's, it's huge. It'll cover nearly, just the bottom of it would cover nearly all of the United States. It would go certainly up into past our atmosphere if it came down to this earth. And this brand new city is going to be made of transparent gold. It's going to be on, on uh, foundation stones. Can you imagine the huge foundation stones it'd have to be on to, to have a city? The, the gates are made out, each gate, 12 gates made out of one pearl. It's going to be amazing to see the clam that made them suckers. Amen? <laughs> now, if that is just one city... What must the whole new earth look like? I want to tell you, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. But I, anybody with a half a mind likes it better in the country than in the city. Amen. <laughs> Come on, give me a witness, you country folk. Can you imagine what it's going to look like? A new heavens and a new earth. And he's bringing it all together in Christ. But that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But more important than that is personally, he came to reconcile his people. He came to save you. To save you. The word alienated and the word enemies means there must, for us to be restored, there must be a reconciliation. And the Bible says that Christ came in these verses and you who are once alienated, once afar off, once who were enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. You're the offender, you're the rebel, you're the sinner, but it is he that has come to save you. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says... Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Hey, men can escape hell and men can go to heaven and more important men can be brought back into fellowship, not just a friendship, although it's a friendship, not just a fellowship, although it's a fellowship, but also not just a citizenship, but a family. We become family. I know what I'm saying. I just thought of it. I used to tease my dad and my mom by calling my dad father. Father. Now, maybe that's what you call your mom and dad. My mom and dad didn't like it. And especially my mother. I'd call my, my mom mother. I got such a habit, that's all I ever called her was mother. And it was too formal for her and for my dad. But I'd call them father, and I'd call them mother. But I'll tell you what, when I wasn't in a teasing mood or when I really needed them and when I was really in desperate need, I didn't take time to be formal. I said, Daddy, I need you. Mama, I need you. That's what it means, Abba Father, is basically our term like Daddy or Papa. And we have the right to come into the throne of grace. Hey, listen, I'm all for reverence. God didn't mean for that kind of relationship. He meant a relationship as a son and a daughter with a father. I reverenced my mother and my father because I knew if I did not respect and fear them at some sense, that they would spank me. 
which by the way is biblical and ought to be done, but I'm not going to get into that today. They would discipline me for you tender hearts. They would discipline me. And, and I would fear that. But I didn't have to ever fear coming up to my daddy and asking for something or to play with him or to jump up in his lap. I didn't fear approaching my mother and I could talk with her and joke with her and, and play games with her. And, and let me so many people are so scared. They so think that you ought to come before God with reverence. And, and I think you should sometime. But I want to tell you, I think God wants you to come to him like a daddy, like a papa. So he came to reconcile us to himself. Isn't that good? No longer is he our enemy. No longer are we alienated. Well, we've brought, been brought in, not just into the fellowship, not just into the citizenship, but into the family. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number two, the, fifth, the second thing that Christ came to do through the blood of the cross is to present us holy. To present us holy. Let me give you something if you're not getting this. You were not holy. Matter of fact, you were the opposite of holy. You were wicked. We are the ones who had wicked minds and wicked works, as the verse said. But he came and he made you through his blood holy. Not your holiness, his holiness. The word holy is hagios in the Greek. I think I put it up there for them. Did I? Oh, man, that's small. Can y'all see that? I didn't realize it was that small. But anyway, uh, it, it means pertaining to being holy in the sense of superior moral qualities and possessing certain essentially divine qualities in contrast with what is human. I like that last part. In contrast with what you really are. What if I came up and, and talked to somebody to you about I'll tell you what, that person, he has a superior moral quality. If you went up and said that to me, about me, to one of my sisters, <laughs> they'd probably pass out from laughing. Now, if you said that to my mother, she'd just keep her mouth shut because I was her angel. But my daddy knew, my mama knew that I was a little imp. As a sinner, I possess no superior moral quality. I possess no certain essential divine quality. I was human and a sinner, but in the blood of Christ, I have been made holy, pure, divine. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm God. It means that I have partake of the divine nature that that which is in me has been born of God. He calls us saints. Saints. Now, a lot of people listen to a lot of this Romanish stuff and that there's certain saints and you have to do so much to gain uh, sainthood. That's, that's uh, uh, silliness. That's not true. Let me tell you what. This is how you become a saint. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you will become a saint. I'm not a saint because I did a miracle. I'm not a saint because I've done great moral works. I'm not a saint because of some quality that I've done through my life. I'm a saint because of Christ's quality, because of Christ's work, because of Christ's righteousness. I am holy because of him, not because of me. Number three. The third
third thing is he came to present us blameless. Now listen, you may think all these things are the same and they're very close, but this is good stuff. Y'all pay attention to this. Listen to this. He came to present us as blameless. That word blameless means without blemish, faultless, and I love this word. It's what the King James uses, I believe. Unblameable. No, not this one, but it's the next word. Unblameable. That's what this word means. Unblameable. How many of you got, uh, you had kids, you know, play in the yard and someone starts crying, you know, oh, here we go. And then you hear the door and immediately one of the kids starts screaming, so-and-so hit me. Let me tell you, Satan would love to. He's the accuser of the brethren. He would love to. If pressed by my loved ones, they would have to accuse me of sinners. But God looks down at me and he sees the blood and he said, you're wrong. This one is unblameable. He has covered our blame with his blood. Through Jesus, there is no evidence that can be brought against us. Did you hear that? Through Jesus, there is no evidence that can be brought against us, for there is none. It's been washed away in his blood. He has taken away our crimes. He has taken away our guilt. He has taken away our wrongdoings. Somebody smile. Somebody say amen. And you've done wrongdoings. I have done wrongdoings. And we were guilty. We have done crimes against his holiness. But God, through the blood of Christ, has taken it all away. He has come to present us holy, to reconcile us, to present us holy, to present us blameless, and fourthly, to make us above reproach. Above reproach. As if we had never really ever sinned. This is an interesting word. Uh, the King James uses this word. He uses the word unreprovable. Unreprovable. Actually, I think that's a better word. I like that. Un. You know what it means to be reproved? Let me tell you what you've done wrong. Let me tell you what you're getting because you've done wrong. Reproof, rebuke, if you would. And the Bible says that through Christ we've been made unreprovable. Meaning, it can, the meaning of the word uh, uh, that we have here, uh, reproach, above reproach, cannot be called into account. That's what it means. Unreprovable, unaccusable, blameless. Not only is he not guilty now, but there's nothing that I've ever seen in him that can bring an accusation against him. That's how thorough the cleansing of the blood of Christ makes you. No condemnation, no judgment, no wrath, no guilt. In the court of heaven we are found not guilty. Charges dropped, uh, exonerated, expunged, no consequences to face, no sentence to be served, but receiving a compensation of grace. Fifthly. And he's going to do all this in God's sight. I mean, look at it. Look what it says here. Look at verse 21. And you once were alienated in enemies and wicked works. Now has he reconciled. Now look at verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, to present you blameless, to present you above reproach in his sight. He is presenting us to the holy God, blameless, holy, unreprovable in God's sight. 
with God's approval, by God's plan, 2 Corinthians 11:2. for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. This is what God the Father says, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. In the wedding ceremony of the Jews, first of all, the groom would go back and build the wedding chamber. And only, and only when the father said it's ready in time could he go and get his bride. And then he would go and get his bride, and what would he do? He would bring her back to the father's house and present her as a holy and chaste bride. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, don't you? Believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And there I will present, I'm adding this, but it's the truth, I will present you to the Father as a holy and a chaste bride. And lastly, it's for God's glory. God's glory. Let me tell you, it's wonderful, the perks of salvation, isn't it? It's wonderful, the perks of worship. I mean, have you ever left the service and said, man, I enjoyed that worship? That's great. I'm glad you say that. But my friend, it wasn't for you. You don't have to enjoy it. It doesn't have to be your style of music for it to be just as worshipful as any other style. We have this idea that we come to church to be entertained. This is not a Branson show. And to say, I, I didn't enjoy that very much, the problem isn't with the preacher or with the musicians or the music director. The problem is with your own hard, selfish heart. Worship is not for you. Worship is for God. But I tell you what, I sure enjoy it, don't you? I mean, we get swept up in the glory of God and enjoy all of it. We enjoy all of it, and God does do things for us, and all these things are for us and to us, but my friend, ultimately, it is all for the glory of God, for the glory of God, to show, to show. I mean, why would God need to show anything else? Why would God want to be seen as glorious and saving little sinners when God created the universes and the massive planets and stars and galaxies and yet God is most glorified in us when he saves us and washes us and makes us new creatures. In conclusion, verse 21 says we were alienated enemies in my, our mind in other words, our hearts, our desires, our thinking, by our wicked works, we, we are sinners in our mind and heart, but that shows up in the sin of our feet and our hands and our lips. Yet now, he has reconciled. Let me give you a few more verses and you have the message. Ephesians 1.4, listen to this. Are you listening? Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now listen, that we should be holy. The salvation of God, past, present, and future is so that, number one, he can make us holy. 
and without blame before him in love. Now, I have color-coded these verses. I couldn't get all of them. Matter of fact, that's nearly too small. But you'll have to remember the colors of these verses. First of all, in green, we see that we should be holy. And then we see in blue, he made us blameless. Remember, that's what it says. And then before him, that's the presentation in love. Look at Ephesians 5.27. And he, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, or if you would, without blame, that she should be holy and without blemish. And there you go. That's the green. Look at Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. And by the way, I should have color-coded that. That could be reconciled us from every lawless deed. There you go, lawless deed. He took all of our spot and wrinkles, and he took all of the blame away from us, every spot and deed, our lawless deeds, and purified for himself. That's that holiness. Without blemish. In his own special people, zealous for good works. And last, Jude 24. There's only one chapter in Jude, so 24. Now to him who is able to what? Keep you from stumbling, to keep you from being blamed, to keep you from having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, to keep you from every lawless deed, to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy one day we will be presented to the father by the son and we will be presented as vessels of holiness and righteousness and godly glory how in the world only through the blood of his cross.